We are uh, continuing our series today. This will be our fourth message in this series on freedom from religion. And uh, so far in the series, we, we've talked about just how Jesus came to set us free from religion, how uh, Jesus uh, purposely poked the bear of the religious system in order to kind of make the religious leaders mad so that we would see how dangerous negative religion can be and how it hurts people, and as Jesus said to the Pharisees, how it shuts the door of the kingdom in people's faces. And then we talked about how, how the religion has a kind of attraction, and it's why sometimes we slip into religion, because it, it can be attractive in some ways in terms of that it gives us a, a false sense of security, that religion can give us an excuse to, to hate certain people or to not hang around certain kinds of people. Last week, we looked at just how negative religion has divided the church and how we know we have you know, well over 3,000 denominations today and, and most denominations would say that we have the right list and those other peoples have the, have the wrong list. We saw how negative religion has, has brought a lot of violence into the church and how in, in the name of God, in the name of the church, uh, millions of people have been killed. And um, and uh, I mean, we looked at the religious wars, the European religious wars, where you know, 7 to, to 14 million people were killed, and that was Christians killing Christians, <laughs> saying, you know, brother and sister, you have the wrong doctrinal list, and I'm right and you're wrong, so we're going to kill you. And, and we might say to those folks, well, you know, you just, you just got to believe the Bible, I and mean, if you just followed the Bible, you wouldn't be doing those kinds of things. But, but the reality is, all of those folks, Christian killing Christians, the Crusades, you know, church splits, all of those folks would usually and often sincerely say, well, I am following the Bible. I'm a man of the book. I, I'm a person of the Word. And part of the issue is, and we're going to talk about this today, is that if we read the Bible and miss Jesus, it will always cause us to slip into religion. In fact, I like this picture because it's just, it's just true. Uh, David Hayward did up this little uh, this image, and um, and here's here's the Bible, and here's two people's response to reading the Bible. One person is is living a life of love, and uh, and and sacrifice to others, and just you know, in, in love and, and living a life of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Another person, after reading the Bible, is ready to take up arms and to fight and to kill. And the reality is, if you look at church history, this has been the response. And that both of these people would say, I'm following the Bible. I'm, I'm a man of the book. I, you know, I follow the Bible. I'm a, I just live, base my life on the Bible. If you don't believe me, let, let's just look at this. Uh, we can go back even to, to Augustine, kind of a, a famous church figure. Well, uh, in his day, the Roman Empire was, was starting to fall, and the barbarians were coming in, and the barbarians were you know, pillaging some of the Roman villages and raping people and killing people and and uh, one day he's reading, reading along in Luke 14, and it says this, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And began to think about this word compel, and he comes up with this idea that maybe sometimes compelling people to, to come to God means we've got to use violence. And maybe sometimes to compel people to come to, to, to God means that we've got to torture them or inflict pain on them. In fact, he says, there is the unjust persecution which the wicked inflict on the church of Christ, 
and the just persecution which the church of, the Christ, of Christ inflicts on the wicked. And he would say, I'm a man, I'm, I'm following the Bible. I mean, the Bible tells us to compel people to come in, and maybe this means bringing violence and, and pain. And, and this, of course, led to a lot of the stuff that we talked about, about last week. And last week, we mentioned the, uh, like the Crusades. Do you know one of the theme verses of the Crusades as, as Christians went down to the Holy Land and killed men, women, and, and children, uh, Muslims who were there, uh, they used this verse. Uh, they thought it was based on the Bible. We're doing God's work. We're, we're following the Bible. Uh, this verse in Jeremiah where it says, Cursed are those who refuse to do the Lord's work, who hold back their swords from shedding blood. And they would say to be a, a person of the Bible meant you can't uh, hold back on using your sword. You need to go and kill those people. And they did. And they based it on following the Bible. In fact, when we talked about, you know, the Inquisition, they, they had imprinted on a lot of the torture devices that we talked about last week, glory unto only to God. I mean, again, they, they thought they were following the Bible. In the European religious wars, you know, seven to, seven to 14 million Christians killing each other, <laughs> horrible stuff. Do you know this was one of the verses that Catholics used to kill Protestants, and Protestants also used in killing Catholics, and Catholics and Protestants used to kill the Anabaptists in 1 Samuel 15. It says, attack the Amalekites, which they thought were the Protestants or the Catholics or the Anabaptists, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. So they would go in and destroy a Protestant village, or the Protestants would go in and destroy a Catholic village. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. I mean, that's in the Bible. And and, and and these people were saying, we were following the Bible. We're doing what the Bible says. But the question we're going to say is like, well, what verses do you follow? <laughs> because the reality is Jesus said something completely different. And we looked at this last week, but let me read it again. Jesus says, listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. And that's what Jesus says. So now we're stuck with the, with the questions like, well, what verses do we follow? Do we follow Jesus or do we follow some of those, those verses from the Old Testament? I mean, uh, some churches follow like 1 Corinthians 14 where it says this, women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. I mean, that's in the Bible. If we're going to be someone of the, of the Bible, do we follow that verse? Or do we follow verses that say almost this, the exact opposite, like in Romans, where it talk, talks about Phoebe, who is a deacon of the church, a leader of the church, so obviously she speaks in the church, or daughters who had the gift of prophecy, or Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, talking about women prophesying in church. I mean, what do we follow? I mean, it's not as simple as just saying, I follow the Bible. The question is, well, what verses do you follow? What, what interpretation do you follow? Uh, when it comes to marriage, do you follow Ephesians 5.22 where it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands? Or do we do Ephesians 5.21 where it says that we're to submit to one another? 
I mean, do you do that verse or do you do this, this verse? I mean, again, it's not as simple as saying, well, I just follow the Bible because all kinds of horrible things have happened by people who have said, I'm just following the Bible. Well, what verses do you follow in the Bible? I mean, most of church history, Bible teachers and theologians supported at least somewhat the idea of slavery. And the reason they supported the idea of slavery was because it's clearly in the Bible. And if we're going to be people of the book and people of the Bible, then we can't say no to slavery because it's found in the Bible. And, and it's true, not just in the Old Testament, but lots of New Testament verses talk about slaves submitting to their masters and obeying your masters. And, uh, you know, you, you should obey your master even if they're harsh and those kinds of things. And, and that's, that's, so do we follow those verses if we're going to be following the Bible? I mean, when the abolition movement began to, 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 to gain favor in abolishing the slave movement, the hardest people they had to fight were, were Bible-believing folks. I mean, for instance, Henry Van Dyke in, in 1860 said, the tree of abolition is evil and only evil. It springs from and is nourished by an utter rejection of the Scriptures. Because it's in the Bible, and we're going to be people of the Bible, we should follow the Bible, and there's verses about slavery, and so we should, we should go there. Or, or Leonard Bacon, who was a pastor who didn't like the idea of slavery, thought that we couldn't get rid of it because we're to be people of the book, and the Bible talks about slavery. And he said, the evidence that there were both slaves and masters of slaves in the churches founded and directed by the apostles cannot be got rid of without resorting to methods of interpretation which will get rid of everything. In other words, it's a slippery slope. If you start saying we can't have slaves anymore when the Bible says we should, it's a slippery slope to, to liberalism or something or whatever they would say. Uh, we are people of the Bible, so slavery is okay. Well, well again, well, what verses do we follow? Do, do we follow the verses that say, talk about slavery, or do we follow like Galatians 3.28? where it says there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, again, what interpretation or, or what, what Bible verses do you follow? I mean, do, do we follow Leviticus 19.27 where it says, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges off your beard because if you're doing that, you're, you're breaking the Bible. Or Leviticus 19, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Uh, I think a lot of us need to get rid of a lot of our clothes, you know, if we're, if we're strictly following the Bible. You might say, well, that's, that's in the Old Testament. We follow the New Testament. Do we really? I mean, again, the New Testament is filled with verses on, on slavery. There's, there's, there's actually a lot of commands in the New Testament that we actually don't follow today. So, so it, the point is, it's just not as simple as saying, I follow the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping. A woman should wear a head covering on her head. And there's very few churches today that make women wear head coverings. Most churches are okay if a, a man comes in wearing a baseball hat. I mean, that's a command. We don't do that anymore. Or this command is found five times in the Bible where it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't do that command anymore, even though it's five times in the New Testament. Or 1 Timothy 2.8 says, men should pray in every place by lifting up holy hands. Uh, we don't command men to make sure when they pray that they lift up hands. I mean, most men pray with their hands down, but according to this, maybe, maybe they're, they're breaking one of the commandments of the New Testament. 
Or 1 Timothy 2.9, talking about women, says their adornment must not be with braided hair and gold or pearls. I mean, I think most churches are okay if a woman braids her hair these days or has a gold wedding ring, uh, but here the command is for them to not. I mean, so again, the question is not, do we just follow the Bible? It's, it's what verses do we follow in the Bible? And just one more, I mean, more provocative, but Leviticus 21.9 says, if a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she must be burned to death. I mean, do we do that? Or do we follow Jesus who was with a sinful woman and declared her forgiven and showed her grace and mercy? So it's just not as simple as, you know, I, I just follow the Bible. Because again, the question becomes, what verses do you follow? And, and the reality is, if you can find verses to justify hating people or you know, killing people as people did during the religious wars. Or, I mean, you can find lots of verses to justify negative religion. And this is why we need to make sure that Jesus stays the focus. Walter Brueggemann, who is one of the most well-respected Old Testament scholars today, he said this concerning this whole idea. He says, we pick and choose things out of the Bible that conform to our fears. We pick and choose things out of the Bible that conform to our fears. And so if there's certain people we don't really like, well, we, we can kind of rearrange some Bible verses to kind of support and justify, I don't have to like those people. Or you know, if there's people you don't want in your church, you can kind of justify some verses and, and make sure those, I mean, when you're afraid of something, you're afraid of that denomination or that style of Christianity, you can find some verse to, to maybe say, well, maybe they're, they're really just deceived and that's what's wrong with them. And you can find verse to, to, to match your fears. You certainly can. But he goes on to say, it's not a matter of obeying the Bible, it's obey obeying the gospel. And there's a sense that we don't follow the Bible, we're to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus never said to people, you know, follow the Bible, he said, follow me. Jesus becomes the, the, the answer to the question, well, what verses do we follow? Well, we follow Jesus and we, we read the Bible through Jesus so we know what applies today and what does not apply today. So how do we know what verses to follow? Well, it's simple, at least somewhat. I mean, this gets complicated, of course, but just fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In other words, uh, I just wrote this up here. If we fail to keep Jesus at the center of our interpretation of the Bible, we will begin to slide into religion. The Bible can then be used to justify violence, hatred, division, and a host of other actions and attitudes that miss the heart of Jesus. If you don't look at the scripture through the lens of Jesus, you can end up in, in all the craziness that has happened in church history. You can end up in negative religion. You can end up, you know, hating people or pushing away people or living a life of fear, being afraid of those kinds of people where Jesus... He went out and touched the leper and, and hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. He, he conquered fear, and yet, you know, negative religious people are always afraid of so many things. And so when we approach the Bible, the question is, does this verse line up with the heart, example, life, and teaching of Jesus? And if it doesn't line up with the heart and life and teaching of Jesus, we know, we know that's not today. It doesn't mean the Bible's less inspired. It doesn't mean those verses are less inspired. I mean, all Scripture is God-breathed, but not all Scripture is equally important. Not all Scripture applies to us today. In Matthew chapter 17, there's this story. It says, 
Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus appeared. Appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And so here we have these three great figures. Jesus is there, and Moses is there, and Elijah is there. And Moses, of course, represents the, the law, and Elijah represents the, the prophets. And so those two folks represent like the Old Testament. And then there's Jesus. <laughs> and Peter says, Man, you are all amazing. Let's kind of make three equal monuments for these people because you're, you're, you're all three amazing folks. And then God pipes up and it says, even as he spoke, Peter spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. God didn't say, you know, you listen to all three equally. No, we listen to Jesus. He becomes the supreme one that we focus on, who, who helps us kind of figure out, you know, what do we do? What do we follow? What, what applies to us today? When you slide into negative religion, often what you will do is exactly what Peter did. Well, Jesus said this, but, you know, Moses said this, and, you know, the prophet said this, and, you know, right now, I don't really feel like following Jesus, because that's kind of hard, so I'll just, I'll pick some verses from Moses to follow. I'll, I'll pick some verses from the prophets to follow, where God says you follow Jesus. Most of the justification for the negative religious things we see are people subtly reject, rejecting the words of Jesus and highlighting the words of Moses or highlighting the words of the prophets or highlighting some words of, of Paul outside of Jesus. I mean, this can be a dangerous road. We are to listen to Jesus, focus on Jesus. He becomes the interpretive lens of the scriptures. Or as Hebrews 1 says, long ago... God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And it's talking about the Old Testament. You know, God spoke to those folks. And then it says, now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. And it goes on to say that Jesus is the exact representation of God. That, that, that everything Jesus spoke was exactly, perfectly what God wanted to say. And every action that Jesus did was exactly the way God wanted Jesus to act. And so he becomes the clearest revelation. He becomes our focal point. He becomes the one, again, that we, we look at Jesus, his life and his model and his teachings, and that is how we decide what verses to follow. We don't say, you know, Jesus said this, love your enemies, but, you know, it says to kill your enemies, certain folks in the Old Testament. Now, what should we do? Well, you know, I don't really like these people, so I'm going to pick this verse. That is how you slide into negative religion when you divorce certain scriptures from the teaching in life of Jesus. In fact, we know Jesus' teaching takes higher precedent than the rest of the Bible by Jesus' own, own words. In Matthew 5, he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, quoting an Old Testament verse. Because the Old Testament idea was someone poked out your eye, you could poke out their eye. I mean, if they knocked out your tooth, you could knock out their tooth. But then Jesus says, but I tell you, you love your enemies. And he goes through a bunch of these, and we'll look at this when we, we're going to do another message on the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, because what happens for a lot of people, they get still, they're still stuck in the Old Covenant, and that's why they're religious. 
But Jesus, he points to Old Testament verse after Old Testament verse, and he says, you've heard that it said, but I say to you, and he brings in a new reality. Jesus, by his own word, says that my words have authority over the words of the Old Testament. My words are more important. They shape your life more than the words of the Old Testament. And so we, we follow in that. If you're reading through an Old Testament verse or story and something doesn't quite line up with the life and the heart and the teaching of Jesus, we know that that's not for me. Maybe I can learn from it. Maybe there's some application there, but, but I don't live my life based on that. I base my life on Jesus. In Mark chapter 7, it says that Jesus declared all foods clean. There are lots of verses in the Old Testament that tell us that there's lots of foods that are totally not clean, including bacon. You know, if you had bacon this morning, you're not allowed to eat that, according to the Bible. And if you want to be a person of the Bible, you shouldn't eat bacon. Well, but Jesus says all foods are clean. So what verse do you follow? Do you follow the no bacon verse or the, the yes bacon verse? I mean, uh, well, we follow Jesus. His doesn't mean you have to eat bacon if you don't like it, but it just means it's not an unclean food. Uh, Luke 10, this is a story where, where someone comes and asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because the Pharisees and religious leaders in, their, in those days, uh, they knew they were to love their neighbor, but they used all kinds of Old Testament verses to justify them not having to love Gentiles. They had all kinds of verses to justify them not having to love the Samaritans. And Jesus comes along and he says, actually, that your neighbor is the Samaritan. Actually, your neighbor is the Gentile. Uh, again, they, 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 were, they were basing this idea of, I don't have to like those people based on the Bible. Jesus comes along and says, actually, I have higher revelation. I have a better way of living that's going to supersede the Old Testament, and that is, you love all people. But the reality is, the church is still stuck in some of this uh, negative religious thinking. In fact, Robert P. Jones they just did a study a while ago, it shows that all white American Christian groups, evangelicals, Catholic, mainline, Protestant, exhibit more racist attitudes than non-religious white Americans. And he says this disparity in attitudes about systematic racism between white Christians and whites who claim no religious affiliation is important evidence that the common and catalyzing denominator here is religious identity. That white American Christians are more racist than white American non-Christians. It's like, it's like, that's backwards. How does it happen? <laughs> it happens when you divorce Jesus from the Bible. It happens when you say, well, Jesus' words are just as important as Moses' words and the, and, and the prophet's words, and because I can find verses I can pick here and there to, to I don't have to love those people, and you know, I don't have to accept those people, and you can do that. But you can't do that if you follow Jesus. You can't do that if you're focused in on him and he becomes the determination of whether you follow that verse or this verse. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate authority, and he said so himself. In Matthew 28, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he write, theologian, about this said, Jesus did not tell his disciples that all authority is vested in the books that they would write. He insisted that it was vested in his own person. Again, Jesus becomes the supreme authority that helps us figure out what to apply in the Bible today. And not only is he extreme authority, but he's, he's the ultimate foundation. Our foundation is not Moses, it's not Paul, it's not the prophets, our foundation is Jesus. And Michael helped me out with this verse this week in 1 Corinthians 
No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already, uh, one we have already have, and that is Jesus. Jesus is our foundation. He's the foundation of how we interpret the scripture. He's the foundation of how we live our lives. It's not like Jesus is equal with all these other things. He is ultimate. In fact, he is the word of God. One of the mistakes is that we often pick up the Bible and say, this is the word of God. And, and it's true, the Bible uses it that way sometimes, calling itself the word of God. But you know, most of the time, the word of God in the Bible is Jesus and not the books. Jesus is the word of God. He is the true word of God. In, in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word gave life to everything. The Word became human, that Jesus is the true Word of God. And so, if you want to know what to follow, you, you follow the Word of God. You use the Word of God to figure out what the, the small Word of God says or what should apply to your life. And, and I love what Brad Jerzak says about the Word of God. He says, the Word of God is infallible, inerrant, and totally inspired, and when he was about 18, he grew a beard. We've got to get that into our thinking. The Word of God is Jesus. That's how it's primarily used. Yes, the Scriptures are absolutely inspired, and they're God-breathed. The Bible says that, but Jesus is the authority that we read that through. Jesus is the foundation, how we figure out what verses to follow, because the reality is there's a lot of verses that contradict each other in the Bible, so how do we know which ones to follow? How do we not make the mistake of falling into racism? How do we not make the mistake of, of dividing and fighting other Christians and, and, and just saying they're just all heretics and we're going to start our own denomination over here? How do we get away from that? You look at Jesus, at his life and his teaching and the way he lived, and you apply that and you use that to filter out what verses to follow or not. You know, sometimes we use this, this phrase, you know, we're people of the book. Uh, if anybody would have said that, it would have been the Pharisees. They were people of the book. I mean, they had large portions of the Old Testament memorized. Now, some of them had it all memorized. And, and one of their theme verses was Psalm 119.11, where it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So they would memorize large portions of the Old Testament to get it. And we're going to be people of the book, and we're going we're to follow the Bible. Now, Jesus comes along, and he says this to them, these people of the book, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. And this is what can happen to us. I mean, we can say we're people of the book, but actually we're people of Jesus. Because if, if, if your end is just the Bible, you can get stuck where the Pharisees got stuck. They completely missed Jesus. They completely missed the heart of God. In fact, do you know what the verse right before this actually says? Check this out. Right before Jesus says this, he says, to the people of the book, you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. The very people who are most saturated in the Bible completely missed the heart of God, completely were going in the wrong direction. I mean, Jesus would look at them at one point and say, you're children of the devil. It's not enough just to memorize Scripture. It's not enough just to have the Bible in you. You need to follow Jesus. You need to look to Him. He is the one that the Scriptures point to. And if you only end at the Bible, you're doing the same thing that these guys did. You're not seeing where the Bible points to. It points to Jesus. And so we start at Jesus, not at 
ending with the Bible. Uh, Brian Zan says, the question isn't, can we find it in the Bible? The question is, can we find it in Jesus? Jesus says to every would-be disciple, follow me. Follow me. So again, we look to Jesus. He is the one that we filter things through. And, and one way that I look at this, and, and, I, and I think this is helpful, but this does not solve all the issues, because it can be very complicated, and there's like huge, you know, I took seminary courses on hermeneutics and Bible interpretation, but, but one just simple way is to use the idea of a spaghetti strainer, and I got one here. When you make the spaghetti, you put the noodles in the pot with the water, and you boil it all up, and then you take that mixture of spaghetti noodles and water, and you dump it through a spaghetti strainer. And all the water comes out, the spaghetti stays in there, and then you take the spaghetti and you eat it because it's good, right? Uh, gluten-free, if you want it to be gluten-free, it can be gluten-free. But this is what we do with the Bible. We take all those verses in the Old Testament New Testament, and we pour them through the strainer, and the strainer is Jesus' life, his heart, his model, his teaching. And all those verses that don't line up with the heart and the model and life of teachings, they go through. And we know what those don't apply for us. Again, all Scripture is God-breathed and inspired, but, but not all Scripture is applies, applies to us today. Not all Scripture is valid for us today. A lot of it was for the Israelites and the culture long ago that has nothing to do with us. We pour it through, those verses come out, and then we take all those verses that line up with the heart and the teaching of Jesus, and we eat those up, because those are the ones that lead us to love and to grace and to mercy. Again, that doesn't mean that these verses aren't important. The, the water's important. You can't make spaghetti without the water. Uh, the Bible's important because, as we're going to talk about in the, in the coming week, the whole scriptures point to Jesus. The Old Covenant, there's a part of the Old Covenant that pointed us to Jesus. It's important, but the Old Covenant is now, as Hebrews says, it is obsolete. It's, it's strained through the strainer. And we take those words of Jesus, those Bible verses that line up with his heart and his teaching, and those are the ones that we live by. Brooksy Cavey said, the more of a fundamentalist someone becomes about the teachings of Jesus, the more loving, forgiving, and gracious that person should become. The problem with many Christian fundamentalists is that they are not fundamentalistic enough when it comes to Jesus. Please understand, whenever the Christian church has become violent or intolerant or just plain uncharitable, it is not because of a fundamentalist adherence to the teachings of Jesus, but precisely the opposite. It is because Christ's teachings have been patently ignored. Many Christian fundamentalists do not follow Christ, but have replaced his teachings with the prevailing conservative ethos of the day, masquerading as religious dogma. Other Christian fundamentalists replace following Jesus with following the Bible. These kinds of fundamentalists are often good-hearted people who are completely sincere, but sincerely wrong. Because Jesus clearly tells us, follow him. Jesus clearly says, you have heard that it said, but I say unto you, follow him. We look to Jesus. And so as Galatians 5 says, as we end here, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It solves so many issues when it comes to do I follow this verse or do I follow that verse? Well, does it line up with the heart and the life and the teaching and the model 
of Jesus. And if so, green light. Let's do it. So, Father, we thank you. You have given us revelation. And I thank you, God, that you've primarily given us perfect revelation in the true word of God, your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for his example of love and patience and forgiveness and life, how he came to bring us life in opposition to the, the enemy who came to kill and to steal and destroy. And so, Father, we receive that life into our being. Uh, we love you, Jesus. We, we love your heart. We love the way you love people. We love the way you, you reached out to the broken, and we want to live the same. God, keep us from negative religion. Keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen.